We're going to uh, go back over some verses from chapter 16 and 17 uh, of Exodus we read recently. Uh, selected verses that I, that I left out really mentioning uh, over the past couple of weeks because I knew I wanted to pick up on them uh, today and you'll see why in due course. So uh, Exodus chapter 16 which is page 74, the Pew Bibles. And uh, I'll just tell you the different verses as we go through. So it's chapter 16, verses, thir- verses 33 to 36. So that's just over on to page 75. This is God's word. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to keep for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. And then if you jump on to chapter chapter 17 and verse 7. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us? Or not. And then further on again to verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amaleks from generation to generation. Amen. Let's pray again before we look at these passages. Father, we thank you that you have recorded for us your eternal word in the the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We thank you that your word is living and active. We thank you that it challenges and rebukes and encourages and enlightens us. And we thank you, Father, that we have the freedom to come and to read it in our own language Uh, We have the freedom to lift it to you and pray for the insight of your Holy Spirit who enlightens us and reminds us of all that Jesus taught. And we want to pray, Lord, that you would take your word and implant it in our hearts and transform our lives through it. We ask that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Almost uh, every time I... Uh, I put an appointment on in the diary on my phone. I, I set an alert, uh, whether it be five minutes or 15 or 30 minutes or an hour before the actual event, depending how long it's going to take me to, to get to it, uh, the, the appointment or whatever it is. You, so easily we, we forget that we have to set ourselves reminders. Uh, we have to set ourselves remind, reminders. And remembrance is one of those occasions in the year that, that's brimming uh, full of reminders. Uh, there are symbols, there are memorials, there are cenotaphs, there are gravestones, there are production poppies like these. There's even the new Irish poppy that we saw revealed during the week. Symbols that call to memory uh, or that remind us evocative symbols and memorials. And it was good that that, that Mike mentioned earlier that the whole area of remembrance transcends 
the, the Union Jack and transcends Britain, that it covers a whole many nations, and we shouldn't associate it with any sense of imperialism uh, in any way. But there's evocative mem symbols and memorials, and in these passages that we just read from Exodus, uh, and we read them over the past couple of weeks, there are a number of memorials or reminders of what God had done for his people Israel, things that he wanted them to remember on into the future. How great a salvation it was that he had produced for them and planned for them. He had brought them out of Egypt. He had rescued them. He had provided for them in the, in the wilderness. Uh, he had protected them. God wanted his people to remember. He wanted them to remember that they were a people with a past, but also a people with a future. And there were four in the short passages that we read there, there were four memorials mentioned uh, in these two chapters. First of all, there was the, the manna in jars in Exodus 16. Uh, Moses uh, was commanded by the Lord to take an omer of the manna uh, and to keep it for the generations to come. Uh, and so that you have how to remind them of how they had eaten in the wilderness and God had provided for them. And so Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put a number of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to keep for the generations to come. And in time, this jar was placed into the, the Ark of the Covenant, along with the, the stones that Moses wrote the law on, on Mount Sinai. And this was a, a memorial to them of God's provision for them in the wilderness. How he had provided food and water uh, when they thought they wanted to go back to Egypt. Not only could he save his people, he could also keep his people. And it was a prompt, therefore, to, to thankfulness and to, and to faith and to trust God on in the future. Then the second memorial are the names Massa and Meribah. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord. Moses renamed those places. Uh, and whenever those names are mentioned throughout the rest of Scripture, they remind God's people how their ancestors quarreled with God and put him to the test and didn't put their faith in, in him. Massa and Meribah reminded the people really of their faithlessness and their lack of trust in God. It was a, a warning to them not to do it again. So whenever Massa and Meribah were mentioned, uh, then, or whenever we even hear them mentioned today, uh, as the psalmist in Psalm 95 reminds us, he says that when, when we're in danger of hardening our hearts to God or closing our hearts to God, the psalmist says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. So these are memorials, reminders to the people of their faithlessness, their lack of trust, their reminders to us today to not to do the same, not to harden our hearts, but to put our faith and our trust in God. And then the third memorial was the, the writing on the scroll. Uh, uh, without provocation, the Amalekites attacked Israel. They fought uh, with Moses sitting on the hill with his hands and his staff raised to heaven, and they won the battle. And, and after the victorious battle, the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So it was written down that God would deal with the wicked, that he would deal with, uh, with all his foes, all those who oppose him. It was a written memorial of future promise to his people. 
And throughout the Old and the New Testament, God gave instructions to write down his word, uh, to write down his great, the great stories of his salvation plan, to write down all that he had done and, and would do for his people. And we have it today here in this and this, this, these scriptures in our own language of the Old and New Testament, preserved for us people even, if we remind, need to remind ourselves, people who even gave their lives that we might have the scriptures in our own language today. And there are still many countries in the world today where uh, to hold a full Bible is a very dangerous thing to have. But we have the word today. We're able to open its pages. We're able to read uh, the warnings and the encouragements and the reminders. We're able to read God's great salvation story. It enlightens us. It warns us. It encourages us and it inspires us as it was meant to do for the people uh, that had written down for them the, the battle against Amalek. And then the fourth memorial we have in those passages is 17 verse 15. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up uh, against the throne uh, of the Lord, or to the throne of the Lord. Hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord in prayer. This wasn't an altar of sacrifice in which animals were sacrificed. It was a, a memorial altar, a, an altar, a, a physical stone reminder to the people to trust in God and to depend on him, that if they would, they would trust in him, that he is a God who would fight for his people, who would fight their battles uh, for them, who, who would honor his name through them, and who would eventually bring them to the promised land. Uh, and they were called on to live lives of trust in him, and he would walk with them. And there, uh, there are a number of those kind of stone memorials in, in the Old Testament, Sac not sacrificial altars, but memorial altars. We read of another one in 1 Samuel uh, 7, verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He, he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us, a memorial altar. And when we reach the New Testament, it's interesting that there's a, a great lack uh, if any, stone altars that are erected as memorials in the New Testament. And there's maybe a reason for that, but we'll come back to it in a few minutes. So the jars, the names, the scroll, the altar, each of these were symbols. They were memorials. They were to remind the people of what God had done for them and what he would do for them in the future, that they were a, a people with a past, but they were also a people with a future. The memorials of remembrance today are, are likewise memorials uh, for us, reminders for us. Cenotaphs and gravestones remind us, they're memorials to us. Now, what do you see when you, when you look at cenotaphs and gravestones? Well, let me suggest that one thing we should see is that they are generally cold, hard, grey, stony memorials. That when we look at them, we should see memorials to cold, hard, grey, stony hearts. Memorials to human sinfulness and fallenness and brokenness and violence. Memorials to humanity without God. Memorials to the hardness of heart that leads to war that wrecks families and shatters bodies, 
that orphans children and breaks hearts. These are memorials of cold, hard, grey, stony, dead hearts, hearts without God, hearts removed from God, a reminder and a lament to human sinfulness that gives birth to war. And then there's poppies. What do we see when we, when we look at poppies? Well, let me suggest that one thing we should see is that they are living. They're bright, red, soft, colorful. Memorials of blood shed and, and, and courage and sacrifice. Memorials that lives were given so that other lives might be lived. Reminders that beauty can come from torn and ravaged ground. Reminders that cold, wet clay which loves the dead and swallows them up in war can produce life and color, life from death. Reminders that God can turn weeping into laughter and darkness into light. He can turn war into peace and sorrow into joy. Poppies are symbols of hope. But there's another symbol that we often associate with remembrance and the other times, and that's the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt and all my pride. The cross is the ultimate memorial to sacrifice, the ultimate memorial to love, the ultimate reminder to us that God so loved the world, that he loved the world so much that he sent his son into a world of brokenness and fallenness, of anger and strife, of war and bitterness and tears of suffering and shame. A reminder that in Christ all of that and death itself were defeated. There's a, a future when all war, there is a future when all war will end, when pain and suffering and tears will cease. And all of this will take place because of the sacrifice of God's own Son and the cross. It is the most dynamic, the most powerful, the most wonderful, the most humbling memorial that we have. The cross rebukes our human sinfulness that leads to conflict and war. But it also infuses us with hope that it will not always be so. That Christ will return and make all things new. Christ is the one who, as Psalm 46 puts it, makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns a shield with fire. The hope of the cross, I think, is captured in the, in the old hymn, O love that wilt not let me go. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be the cross is our ultimate memorial of hope but there's one more memorial uh, I want to mention today and, and I alluded to it earlier uh, I said that the New Testament is pretty well devoid of memorial altars stone altars that are set up and perhaps that because, that's because they were replaced with a different kind of stone altar. And that different kind of stone altar is God's people. Those who know and follow Jesus Christ. 
Those who know him as Lord and Saviour, we are living stones. We read in 1 Peter 2.5, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We shouldn't really expect, therefore, to see stone altars in the New Testament. Because as one writer says, we are living, roaming memorials who can attest to the world of God's goodness in Christ. We are lasting testimonies to God's acts in Christ. And as poppies and cenotaphs are memorials of the sacrifices made in war, so disciples of Jesus Christ are living memorials to sacrifice the sacrifice of Christ and the cross for us. He loved us and sought us. He loved us and bought us. We were dead, but we were made alive in him. We, through living and believing in him, will never die, but reign and live with him forever. We, our lives, are living testimonies to the salvation that Christ died to win. Living testimonies to the grace and mercy of God, living stones being built into a spiritual house. But we're also living memorials of peace. We were alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of evil, our evil behavior, Colossians 1. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, Ephesians 2, were living memorials that God sent Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We are living memorials to the peace that Christ came to make. And so the Lord God is able to call those who follow Jesus his friends rather than his enemies. And through Christ, therefore, as Romans says, we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we are able to live a message of peace in the world. We are able to become brokers of peace. We're able to say to a lost and broken and fallen and conflicted and warring world, you too can know peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And through faith in Jesus Christ, you can then know peace with one another, within your homes, within your families, between your nations. We are to become brokers of peace in a troubled world. We are living memorials to sacrifice, living memorials to peace, and believers are living memorials to hope. You know, when you, when you, you watch the, the Invictus Games, you see their veterans taking part in the games. Who, some of them are missing limbs, some of them have psychological damage, some of them neurological damage. They're living reminders of the horrors of war and the toll that it takes even in those who survive it. Followers of Jesus Christ are living reminders that those who are dead to God can be brought to life. That those who are dead to God can be brought to life. Our lives are living reminders that life and beauty and joy can grow from the ground of death. Our lives are living reminders that from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be in Christ. 
Our lives are living reminders that there is a future even after death. Quoted earlier on that First Samuel 7 passage, then Samuel took a stone and set it up uh, between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And in a few moments, we're going to finish our service by singing, Come thy fount of every blessing, where part of the words is, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Here I raise my memorial. Here I raise my testimony stone. Here I raise my poppy. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here I raise my life, my memorial, my testimony to the sacrifice and peace and hope found in Jesus Christ. You know, folks, these poppies here um, are paper poppies. Um, they're paper and plastic. They're just copies of, of the real thing. Uh, reminders of the real thing. But I wonder, is your life and is my life authentic and the real thing or just a copy of the real thing? Are we just copies of the real thing? Or are our lives openly and transparently living memorials to the sacrifice and the love, the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you raising that kind of Ebenezer? Are you raising your Ebenezer? Are you a living testimony to the grace of God so that others can see you and look and know what Christ has done and that they too can find peace with God?